0: When you work in education leadership, you don't get off at five o'clock. Your mind is always on the clock, thinking of ways to solve problems for your students, parents, and teachers. On the Clock is your go-to podcast to learn valuable insights from education leaders across the United States. I'm your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, former White House appointee to the U.S. Department of Education, and we are now on the clock. Welcome back to On the Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. I am your host. Today, we have a bit of a different show. For those of you who have listened to uh, On the Clock for the last few years, we we, we thank you. We started the show uh, in, in an effort to actually talk to superintendents at the very beginning of the pandemic who were dealing with school closures and all of the complications that went into how you educate students from outside the classroom. And that has been an incredibly engaging conversation and it's morphed into many, many topics. We've done 50 or 60 shows now. And recently I was having a conversation about the after effects of of the shutdown. And they're pretty well known now and they go like this. We, we shut down schools, we put kids in the home, we tried to educate them as best we could through the computer. And now we have three things that are really haunting American education in this country. And one of them, you know, is, is obviously learning loss. Everybody concedes that the assessment scores are, are much lower than they were before the pandemic. And then mental health, which we've done three episodes of, on mental health on this show. 51% uh, ideation, suicidal ideation amongst adolescent girls. And I've never seen a topic rise more quickly in in K-12 education than mental health has. And then chronic absenteeism. Uh, It it might surprise people to know, the New York Times recently reported that in 2022, there are 75 million students in America. And in 2022, 14.7 million were chronically absent in American education. And I was talking to somebody really smart on the topic, uh, a woman by the name of Kathy Lane here in Annapolis, who is a lifetime educator, and she said that this really boils down to engagement. And it makes sense, right? If you're not going to school, there's something that isn't drawing you to school. And for me, it was a number of things. Um, and one of the areas of education that I have really thought has been lacking and, and, and I, I looked up the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times reported recently that the half of the arts teachers in Los Angeles Unified School District, were fired in 2009 and it hasn't gotten any better and it's the same way across the state and i think probably very similar across the country so i thought let's talk to somebody who might know a little something about the arts and i decided to call my old friend billy bob thornton uh, award-winning actor writer director songwriter billy thank you for being on the show
1: well thanks for having me on your show good to see you
0: todd it's great to see you and i really appreciate uh you joining this conversation and i think it's important I'm sorry for the long introduction, but I I felt like it was worthy of explaining it a little bit. So I met you at a little place called Harry Brown's in Annapolis four years ago. And the thing that I came away with was just uh, how interesting you are. You know, somebody once told me, don't ever meet your hero because they'll always disappoint you. You actually went the complete other way. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't just because you're an actor and you've been in some of my favorite films. Uh, It was because you talked... In an hour we talked about baseball. We talked about friendships. You have some incredible friendships around the country. Um we, we talked about your love of baseball and you started out in high school. You probably that's where you thought you were going, wasn't it? Was you gonna be a baseball
1: player? Well, I thought it was gonna be either in a rock and roll band or baseball <laughs> because those yeah. are the two things I did. I started at nine years old having a band and uh played played ball from the time I was able to throw any kind of ball. And my dad was a high school basketball coach and a history teacher. And my mom had been, uh, an English major in college. And, uh, so it was a pretty interesting life. And my dad was an old school coach. I mean, he was more like, uh, the Bear Bryant, Bobby Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guy, you know you what, know what I mean? Is- yeah. So, um, so I, yeah, baseball was the thing for me. Baseball and music were the things for me that elevated me in terms of my social life because I was sort of an outsider. I, I was raised in a tiny little town called Alpine, Arkansas. I had 110 people. And when we moved into Malvern, Arkansas, I had about 9,500 people. So for us, that was a city. And... Uh, so I was just known as the country kid who had moved to town and, you know, wasn't part of the clique until uh, all of a sudden my <laughs> band was playing at the proms and the college parties and things like that. And until I became a uh, one of the local baseball heroes, you know, and for some reason. All right, so I got a that... million questions now. Who was your influence <laughs> in music? Well, I mean, you know, I saw the Beatles had when to I be was the eight Beatles. Years. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched Ed Sullivan and saw them in 1964 on Ed Sullivan, and I already was an Elvis fan, but uh, so the bar for me as a musician was set so high with Elvis and then the Beatles and the whole British invasion yep. that I think it did me some good because I grew up in the heyday of rock and roll. So when the bar is set that high, you know it's something you're never going to reach, but you keep trying. So I think I had, uh, I think I was born with it to an extent, but also just the things that I was trying to achieve were so unreachable. And I'm not saying actually unreachable, but I mean, there's a lot of difference in, you know, wanting to be in the Beatles or wanting to be Bob Gibson and just wanting to be some guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that, in other words, I was driven. And I, I think to this day, I look at everything I do, whether it's making a record or uh, touring uh, in front of live audiences, which is how we met, and um, or uh, making a movie, writing, uh, any of it, uh, I still look at it like I'm in a garage band or I'm on the senior Babe Ruth baseball team. I mean, I, I still try to be 19 all the time and look at, it every, at everything as being ahead of me because I think one of the things that kills people inside is when they stop dreaming. So if your dreams are alive, you're alive. And so I I don't look at it like oh i did all this great stuff over the years or whatever it is or look at all the things i did uh i just try to act like i didn't do them and i'm still trying to make it you know and i think that keeps keeps you alive and keeps you driven
0: what was it about baseball what, what did, did you grow up who were your idols in baseball What what drew you to that sport
1: well, anybody in Arkansas was a St. Louis Cardinal fan. So, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, And it's you know, it, all the other teams can have a, a an ironic thing about bleeding something, you know, I bleed Dodger blue, I, you know, I, whatever. I, I bleed whatever colors those are the Padres, the <laughs> and the A's wear. I don't know. If they <laughs> but uh with the Cardinals, you just have to say, I bleed Cardinal red. But everybody there, because at Arkansas, we had no professional teams of any kind. So, um, and St. Louis was the closest, and their farm club was the Arkansas Travelers in Little Rock. So, we saw a lot of the Cardinals come through there on their way up. And uh, yeah. so, the guys that I, you know, my early heroes were, you know, Bob Gibson. Uh, Wiley. Wow. Uh, you know, Musial, you know, which I was too young really to see Musial play, but on TV, but uh, uh, but that whole 60s Cardinal team, I was wild about. And uh, so as a pitcher, I was a junk pitcher. So I loved, you know, I loved the pitchers and and Gibson was hard to beat, you know, and I've asked some big hitters before, you know, I, I always ask them questions like, who were you afraid to hit against? and uh and he said uh i was talking to willie mccovey i was got to sit in his box san at, francisco uh, giants in, in Cisco, yeah. yeah and uh so i asked him i said who did you just not want to go up to the plate against he said well i'm not going to count gibson because nobody wanted to go up to play <laughs> against <laughs>
0: he's that special
1: yeah he said sandy koufax uh would have been the one that just had his number you, you know and uh so I loved all those guys, and even though I was a Cardinal fan, I still admired and appreciated, you know, pitchers and players in general and other teams. too. my American League team was Baltimore. And oh, really? That's right. A I lot of people that, in yeah. Arkansas. Yeah, so a lot of people in Arkansas loved the Orioles for their American League team because Brooks Robinson was from Little Rock.
0: I, I recently saw Brooks Robinson was is he's one of the most beloved uh, Orioles. I would say maybe behind Cal Ripken Jr., who still lives here in the area and is truly one of the most beloved as well. But talk to me about, you're, you're in high school. You are, you got a little rock band thing going. That's cool. And you're a baseball player. That's cool. How did you, in, as I was talking, and I have to do a little shout out to your your boy, J.D. Andrew, your, your partner in music, and I'm, I'm guessing some other endeavors as well. And he's been so good about helping us put this call together what was it that happened to you in high school that kind of gave acting a a a look at least
1: well i i was never encouraged that much by anybody you know like i said my dad was a tough coach and so uh you know i i remember pitching a game when I was 16 in high school where I struck out 13 batters and I shut them out two to nothing. And uh, I said something to my dad about it. I said, see, that's pretty awesome, right? And he said- uh, I know exactly where this is going. He said something the to dad. the effect, of, not quite good enough, should have been 16 yes. strikeouts. I mean, you know, it was, he was that kind of guy. Yep. So uh, there, when I was in high school, they had a drama program. So you could take some of these kind of other things that weren't science and math and all that. And I wasn't a good student because I had, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I'm severely dyslexic and have obsessive compulsive disorder and all these different, and an anxiety disorder. So I grew up with a, with a learning disability and but back then, they didn't have programs, you know, for stuff. No. They didn't have names for anything, so we didn't know. I was just known as the dumb guy. But um, one way or the other, this drama class, I thought, eh, I'll go in there because, you know, there's girls in there and stuff like that. And mostly, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and uh, um, otherwise, it's like I wasn't going to take home at because my friends would have never let me live that down. And... Uh, I didn't want to really do shop, you know, because I ended up working in things that were like shop anyway after I graduated. But uh, anyway, um, in that class, in that drama class, there was a woman named Maudie Treadway, and she was the first person to give me encouragement. And the way it happened was I used to sit and write short stories in class. Uh, she would be teaching us about different things and the students would get on a little stage and we would do things. And then they had two plays a year, you know, big, bigger plays. And, uh, and it, it just started as a lark for me or just kind of a thing. It's like, maybe I'll actually get a good grade in this, you know, it's like, it's just talking, right? And, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I would sit there and write these short stories. And one day, Miss Treadway said, uh what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, well, nothing. I'm just kind of, you know, listening to you, (laughs) which wasn't true. And, uh, she said, let me see that. And she takes it up there and she reads it and she says, so you're you're right. What is this? Some kind of play? You're right. I said, what's just a little short story I goof off with, you know, doing that. I said, I was always interested in characters and I like to write funny things about characters. And, uh, it was literally a story. I remember the story. It was a story about an old man and old woman shopping in Kmart. And it was like the, for them, it was like going to a Who concert. You know, <laughs> Kmart. And, um, what? Mind blown. Right, exactly. And, but it was a funny thing, you know, about them. And um, anyway, she reads and she says, okay, if you're so bright, um, why don't you finish this up? make it into a play with where the dialogue works as a play and I'm going to let you direct it and you pick the cast from the, from the people here. So I did and they put it on and then Miss Treadway came to me one day and she said, I've never had a student in here who I thought could actually do this for a living someday. I think you can. Wow. That's and incredible. We got very close and she's kind of, she was almost like a counselor to me or something because she gave me some hope that I had some kind of thing that I could do, you know, I mean, like a talent of some kind. And she encouraged me, and I actually ended up being a pallbearer at her funeral later right. on. And uh, she was the first one, and then the second person who encouraged me was a guy named John Woodlock. after I'd moved to L.A. and accidentally got in his acting class. And that's a story that it's too long to tell on this podcast, but one of these days I'll tell it to you because it's pretty uh, astoundingly crazy. I can't wait. It's,
0: it's, it really is incredible. The impact um, people can have on a young person, isn't it? Like that's the, I think you just hit it on the head. Like when you're 15, 16 years old, you're old enough to start to look towards the horizon and see that I got to figure out what to do, but you're, Really baffled, and in, in my case, I was baffled as to what the hell I was going to do. Right, like to have somebody tell you, "I think you can do this. You're the best I've ever seen do this." That i come through here, and then I have to ask: Did Miss Miss Treadwell, Treadwell, Treadway, Treadway, yeah? Did she ever see your success? Like, did, was she able to see that at some point and have that satisfaction? Ah. She never saw it. Yeah. Well, she saw it before any of us saw it. That's for that's for sure. Uh, when we were talking and. And I mentioned earlier, one of the things that really touched me about you is your your friendships. And I, I think I'm famous in Annapolis for asking you the dumbest question that anybody's probably asked you, which is, hey, weren't you married to somebody famous once? I, yes. I actually asked that. And, <laughs> and no, you said, that's... yeah. And she's, you know, Angie is still, you know, still one of my very, very dear friends. And I'm really proud of that. And I was like, wow, friendship really matters. And then if, about 10 minutes later, I was asking you about Slingblade and I'm a huge country music uh, fan of country music. Um, My parents are also, uh, my mom's from Arkansas, uh, a little county called Jackson County in Arkansas, and I dearly want to go visit uh, Arkansas. It's one of the only two states I've never been to, which would be Arkansas and and Alaska. And I mentioned to you, I've always wondered, and it's one of my favorite movies, Sling Blade, why in the hell? How did you find Dwight Yoakam? Because first of all, I'm a huge Dwight Yoakam fan of, of his singing, and then he's incredible in the movie that you made. You 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 produced, wrote, won an Academy Award for Sling Blade, and I asked you what why? How did you find Dwight Yoakam? And you said, and I quote, because he's probably one of my best friends, and yeah. and <laughs> and um, friendship matters to you, doesn't it? Friendship Ooh. is really something that really. Uh, you,
1: really care about it don't you absolutely uh one of the guys in a band i played in high school passed away last week and it hit me so hard even though i haven't seen the guy in you know probably 12 14 years yep but i kept up with him and he it, it, it just felt like the end of an era to me you know it was it was pretty devastating and you know uh yeah dwight Dwight and JD and a handful of other guys are my close friends and I don't really I mean I have a lot of friends from the old days you know what I mean and yeah. people that I came up with out here in LA I don't hang out with a bunch of famous people I mean you know Dwight I, I see Dennis Quaid every now and then yeah and that's gotta be uh, fun yeah and though you know those guys uh probably more musicians than actors but I barely hang out with actors uh, but friendship is a. I mean, that's what keeps you going, really. I mean, if you don't have anybody to bounce things off of and people to talk about things that are where you have similarities and the same hopes and dreams and things like that, it kind of leaves your life empty, you know.
0: I, I mean, when I get back to the original point of our conversation. Like, I went to school for as much as anything to go hang out with my buddies that were at school, and and um, you know, you probably were better at it than I was. I, I liked girls, but I didn't know how to talk to them very well, but I didn't mind like chatting with my buddies about the ones I liked. you know what I mean I, I, okay. I loved I loved the friendships that I built and I still maintain those those relationships. and it's yet another thing that um, schools could probably do better at is, is how do we uh, engage students in positive relationships uh, because they can be a lifetime reward if, if, if we if you'll allow it as a person and as a as a system. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not saying that that science and math and all these subjects in school are not important. Not, they're obviously important. But it's not like, you know, you go hang out with your buddies and, you know, talk about algebra much, you know. I mean, it's like you, <laughs> yeah. you, you hang out with them and talk about music and movies and and sports and you know things like yep. that. That's what you talk yep. about. And the th- the thing to bring it back to what you were talking to me earlier about, um, you know, I think, I think that's probably the most important social aspect of school is arts. You know, uh, arts and entertainment. You know, I think that's because it's something that everybody is interested in so if you have a subject and when i was coming up in school yeah sure you had the odd class here or two you know that had to do with the arts but it was like reading writing and arithmetic and uh i think these days one thing they're doing the right way is there are options for schools that encourage a more free curriculum you know yeah we've been taking our daughter around to college she's 19 and they uh, we've taken her to Cal Arts you know out here and uh, UCLA in different schools and she's interested in science and nature and creative writing and that's what she wants to do. That's great and So uh, there are schools around the country that actually up in college you know for sure where they can actually encourage that kind of stuff, you know. But in the public schools, you're just regular school. A lot of times, that's the the low subject on the totem pole. And I think, for me anyway, the two most important things you can learn in school or be involved in in school are the arts and history. I think history is one of the things that we've lost also. Uh, I mean, when we were growing up, history went way back. You know, like even though I'm here, I am like in say 1973 and I'm listening to deep purple and the Allman brothers and people like that. I still knew Jimmy Rogers and Billy holiday. Yeah. And Hank Williams and all this kind of stuff. And now I think kids histories are going, they're not going back as far, you know, now it's like, you have to tell them, Ozzy Osbourne's not just a guy on a reality show. He was in a band called Black Sabbath before any of this happened.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm, um, I am I turned my son, my both my sons on to Merle Haggard, uh, Hank Williams, and his son, Hank Williams Jr. And they're now, there's a new breed of cat in country music now with Morgan Wallen, Tyler Childers, and now they're playing me songs. And it's pretty legit. I mean, I think there's a new wave. And I'll, I'll circle back to your your your, your buddy Dwight. I, I still may come home at night and after everybody goes to bed, I might pour a bourbon and watch the uh, Ken Burns special on country music. And when right. Dwight Yoakam chokes up, I kind of lose it every single time. That guy right. is so good on that show. It might be one of his great historic contributions in right. uh, in country music, other than his amazing music that he's made and the and the work he did on your right. movie, but I, I I think you know history. We we've done a uh, a show recently on trying to teach the context of history that mm. that that judging uh, 1850 with with through the eyes and the prism of 2023 is mm. it needs some instruction and some thought before we actually do that. So, Billy, what's what's going on with you right now? I, I know right now you, if anybody hasn't seen 1883, it's one of the most electrifying performances I've seen. I love the whole movie. The acting is great. We've talked about some country music singers. There's a couple of country music singers in there that you I didn't see this coming, how wonderful actors they were, um, it, but they're incredible, in the, and the story is amazing, and the the, the, the whole series just blew me away. You're also in Goliath and people are raving about that. What what else are you doing? What What's going on with you right now? And then I want to finally talk about how I met you, which is what, what's, how can people find Billy Bob and the Boxmasters, your, your band?
1: Well, what's happening with me now is, uh, we're frantically packing to leave for Texas, uh, on Monday. Uh, I'm Dallas going or to, where? Well, yeah, the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, uh, so i'm going to be starring in taylor sheridan's new uh series called landman and it's about the oil business in texas out around odessa out there so it shows yep. the good the bad and the ugly of the oil business and now uh, you know just the relationships what? of what it takes to work in that it's a it's written so well that Normally, I read a script and I go, well, let's see, I'll change that and I'll change that. (laughs) Yeah. In this one, there's not much to change. Uh, Taylor is a wonderful writer and uh, I loved working with him in 1983 and it's been really, really good. What year is it set in? It's it's, uh, current day. uh, Okay. The actual story it was based on uh, was a podcast called Boomtown and uh, it took place in like the, you know, sort of early to mid 2000s uh so i don't have to wear a powdered wig or anything but uh um <laughs> one way or the other um so i go and do that through uh the end of may and then have a couple of months off and then the band goes back on tour the box masters and we start rehearsing in late august and we go out uh september through october so two solid months and there up u.s and canada
0: and the, the band is described as i've sort of read a few things uh, is sort of classic the rock and roll you grew up with beatles rolling stones with kind of a country vibe to it is that is that a fair overview of of the band's style well, they use they True. usually add True. that
1: country thing in there i think because of our first couple of albums and also yeah. maybe some of my earlier solo albums we're really a you know, just an original rock and roll band, um, you know, yep. it's all original material and we have a, you know, great fan base. It's, it's, we sound like guys who grew up loving the Beatles and the birds and the kinks and the animals, yeah. you know, that's uh, awesome. essentially. Yeah. Well,
0: enjoy Dallas. Um, I can't thank you enough. I think you're, you might be one of the more famous people we've had on this show. Wait a minute. You're absolutely the most famous person we've ever had on the show. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see you and have uh, uh, a beer with you uh, next time we're at Harry Brown's. And uh, I know JD will let me know and we'll, we'll get together. And maybe I'll make you some barbecue next time and, uh, and some guacamole. I know you're an avocado guy.
1: Oh, yes, <laughs> I am. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Todd. It was great talking. I mean, I could talk to you for another hour about this stuff because it's pretty important stuff, you know. Billy Bob Thornton, you are um, the hero that I met
0: that did not disappoint me. I really appreciate you being on the show. The topic of engaging students, there's many pathways, and one of them is certainly the arts and uh, who better than you to help us uh, walk through your history uh, in, that, in that endeavor. I can't thank you enough. Uh, have a great rest of your weekend, and uh, we will talk soon, my friend.
1: Well, thank you, Todd. Thanks for talking to me, and uh, I'll see you down the road here.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. On the Clock is part of the Strategos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of shows, please visit us at strategosgroup.com. See you next time.